0: You are listening to The Next Best Picture Podcast, and this is my interview with Bullet Train DNeg visual effects supervisor Stephen James, and Will Mavity's interview with the film editor, Elizabeth Ronald Stopped here. Hi. There's a gun. the Ryan. It's the quiet car. Gotta use a small inside voice in here, son. There's a gun. <laughs> ah. oh. 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 Talk to me. I am ready. You are getting the new and improved me. Because if you put peace out in the world, you get peace back. I think you might be forgetting what you do for a living. Take the gun. Every job I do, somebody dies. I'm not that guy anymore. Some conflicts require a gun. Hey, this is nice. Okay, what am I snatching and/or grabbing?
1: A briefcase. You said you wanted simple for your first job back. It doesn't get simpler. You,
0: know, you stab me!
2: All right, Stephen. Thank you so much for joining me here today on the Next Best Picture podcast. You are the visual effects supervisor for Bullet Train, part of DNEG. And I'm very excited to dive into this particular film with you here. So welcome to the show.
3: Yeah, thank you so much for having me.
2: Absolutely. So in diving into uh, the visual effects behind Bullet Train, I guess the number one thing we have to start off with by default is the train. So I want to explore this actually from a couple of different angles because I know that, uh, you know, you have to shoot this train in many different ways. Um, and capture it uh, via visual effects. So you have exterior night, you have exterior day, you have a train wreck scene in general uh, at towards the end of the film. So why don't we first start off with these exteriors? Is there any model work going on? Is it all computer? Talk about just visually conceptualizing the bullet train.
3: Yeah, so the um, production designer built out a train that was kind of built on a few different models of the realistic Shinkansen trains. Uh, so a bit of a amalgamation of a few different ones, but they kind of had their own flair to it. Um so they did build one out on set to some extent that they could, you know, have people boarding the train and leaving the train and uh people on top of the train for some sequences. Um, but they didn't really like the way that it responded when we were traveling and stuff. You know, it didn't have the sexy, glossy look to it, that beautiful uh form that um that you'd expect out of that that really built for high speed bullet train. So um they knew that they always wanted to replace the shell for for most shots. So yeah, for the exteriors I think the the challenge that we had really was that the bullet trains are super clean, which is not great for CG, and they're extremely smooth with you know no secondary movement or anything. It's all just so smooth on these tracks. So also not great for CG. So when it, before any destruction would happen, we really had to make sure that you know, it just came down to the details of the exterior. So, you know, we we had an interior framework, we would make sure like the panels on the exterior would wrap around very slowly, just subtly around those like interior frameworks, scuff marks to the paint, you know, scratch marks, screws and bolts, really looking at like how these things were built out to make sure that that fine detail was there. And that if you looked at the train, like, you know, the, the reflections broke up in a realistic way down the length of the full train. So. Yeah, it was really like a lot of details um, to get it to read realistically.
2: Sure. No, I can only imagine. There's one particular sequence that I'm remembering where Aaron Taylor Johnson is on the back of the bullet train trying to get in. Don't ask how he got outside, but he's trying to get in. And uh, I'm curious to know, um, is that shot on a green screen with a wind fan in Aaron's face? Like, how do you how do you guys make that scene?
3: Yeah, exactly. So he he was shot on a blue screen on a, on a practical train, but the entire train itself was replaced because we needed all those crazy fast reflections going by. We were going to do the CG environment. So we, you know, we, we had to fully replace that to, to get all those reflections. Um, and then we had to body track him in order to get him reflecting into the train as well. Yeah. So he had like a ton of wind forces on him. I think sometimes maybe he was pulled around by cables a bit just to get those external forces feeling really extreme. Mm-hmm. um and then for when he you know he, in order to get back in he needs to break the windows through we actually had to give him like a, a foam padding on his hands because he was hitting this window so hard you know acting um so we phoned him up we had to kind of cg replace his hand with a with a cg hand that um uh would hide up the uh the foam because he was punching so hard <laughs> uh, yeah <laughs> he gets really
2: into his roles that guy he does. Yeah, he's she's really good in this movie. From my experience, not only does visual effects help sometimes with actors performances. And I don't mean like digitally manipulating the actor. I'm talking about manipulating things that would distract you from the actor. Things like in the background, for example. So can you talk about like any kind of digital replacement work that you had to do on this film or anything in terms of the environment?
3: Yeah, so we'd replaced the environments pretty extensively um, in general, Mm -hmm. just because due to the pandemic, they weren't able to travel to Japan. They weren't able to go to real stations or get these journey environments that they wanted to go to. So that in particular was a huge challenge on the show. In terms of like just background distractions, you know, I think it's a, a lot of like the simple things came down to like they'd be on board the train. We have to extend the train out, so it felt like it was, you know, it went like ten cabs down the, the entire train line. I was going to uh, say also built too, out a, I, you know, a fifteen train uh, set. Yeah.
2: Yeah. No, I, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but like I, I yeah, I'm yeah. also like imagining because you're not shooting on an actual bullet train, so a lot of this is sets that like you said you have to extend, uh, but also too I imagine uh because you can't have a camera crew on a uh claustrophobic set like that you know i'm sure there's a lot of uh wall replacements also having to uh go go along as with that as well i mean with like like with the backgrounds of the moving environment and such
3: yeah yeah so definitely looking down the trains lots of replacements to extend that Mm -hmm. um on set they were able to kind of They built this in sort of pieces so they could remove blocks of chairs, get the cameras in, because you're right, it it is a very tight space, especially when you're filming with action choreography where guys are flipping over from one side to the other. So they really had to make this in in compartments that they could take apart and piece back together. But yeah, a lot of the stuff... um, a lot of the work that we did um, in pre-production was to develop content for the exteriors so that essentially everything that takes place at night on the train, the exteriors at the windows are all um, captured in camera on LED screens. So we just had tons and tons of footage of, of uh, but anything between like film footage from Japan and CG environments that they could use on set to to replace the backgrounds on those LEDs.
1: The news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So, five minute news is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased, and essential world news daily.
2: Now, you do all this work on the train itself. And you mentioned stunt chore- uh, choreography before and how there's a lot of, you know, obviously, a lot of action in this movie. And the camera, at least, From what I can tell, David Leach, he loves to whip that camera around. He really wants to accentuate those hits. Curious to know if there's any hidden visual effects work in the editing to make those camera pans and whips more smooth in the editing process.
3: Yeah, there usually is. That's a pretty common technique where, like, you know, if you're looking one direction and you whip pan around, Mm -hmm. um, We'll usually have to like connect two plates together. Yeah. Because usually, if you whip around, you'd reveal the film crew behind, yeah, right? exactly. Or the lights. So, you know, you start one direction. Like, there's a shot in the film where someone throws a knife. It bounces. We whip with it, and uh, you see it impact someone behind camera. Yes. So, yeah, in a case like that, it's it's multiple plates stitched together. We just need a little bit of uh, smoothing in between to to help it along.
2: And yeah. the way you make you, it you'd be sound. surprised
3: how, how easy it is to really, you know, that whip really does most of the work to, to hide yeah. that.
2: That's what I was thinking. Like, it sounds very common. It sounds super easy. So let me throw this one at you then. What is the most difficult uh, challenge on this particular project for you?
3: Oh boy, I think like, I guess there's there's two separate things. Like, what was unique on this one was we're traveling like vast distances. So you know normally on a film, you'd have like one location and it would all take place. Like the big fight would take place in one place, but we had to travel and have just stuff constantly changing, right? So it's a bit of a different challenge. We're creating, I think in total, we created 30 kilometers of track in different <laughs> environments that we could run down and just kind of keep passing the interesting stuff by. So that was a huge challenge just to, you know, travel through all these different Unique, stylized, beautiful environments, uh, and keep it interesting and make sure it's not repetitive. <laughs> um, and then the the second one would be just there's end sequences where the action, you know, stuff really kicks off and literally goes off the rails a couple times. So um, we, uh, you know, just just the complexity there of having to coordinate all those sequences, all those big, big, explosive crash beats. Um, was was definitely a big, big challenge.
2: We're recording this on August 5th. I know post-production can be uh, a grind and it can come down to the last minute. Tell me, when did you hand in that last visual effects shot?
3: Yeah, this one was pretty good, actually. We I think we completed in April.
2: Oh, that's great.
3: Yep, they knew what they wanted, yeah.
2: <laughs> that's phenomenal. So I imagine it in that regard, then, this must have been heavily storyboarded and you guys must have had, uh, I imagine, a clear roadmap of what you were working on with not many changes at the last minute?
3: Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I, um, even any like reshoots were done fairly early on. So I think the, the the thing that kept changing was, you know, throughout production, we kept on waiting, like, when can we go to Japan? When can we go to Japan? And that time never really came. So we had to just adapt to that and, and figure out ways to work. So one thing that we did was we actually worked directly with production companies in Japan, which is a bit unique. So we actually sent out our shoot kits and our kits that we would use for capturing data, we train them up remotely. Uh, these other production teams in Japan, we work with a company called Jade Productions, who are awesome, um, and they would go out and and go to you know Tokyo at night and uh, the rice fields at sunrise and all these beautiful locations that I would have loved to go to, but I couldn't. Um, And we would work with them remotely and they would capture all this, you know, sunrises and skies and uh, types of buildings and tree types and all these things that we needed. And they would send that data back to us to to um, help us build our environments and assets.
2: This is a very bloody film. And a lot of times blood is not practical. A lot of times there has to be some elements of it added in into post. Uh, can you tell me a, a particular sequence where you inserted any kind of gore uh, to make a scene really pop? Or was it all practical?
3: Yeah. <laughs> um, no, it was mostly CG, I think. Um, maybe just a bit too messy. Uh, this film, as you said, is is pretty violent. It gets pretty over the top with the gore. Sure. You know, we were able to have some fun with it. So, yeah. Um, I, I mean, I, I, out of all the gore in the film i guess like there's one sequence i I really love which is when the the elder character is kind of um you know he reveals his katana out of his his cane um and just kind of plows through these mercenaries Mm -hmm. and what i like about that scene is it's played a bit less comedy and it's more of a serious moment and the choreography is really you know beautiful long kind of arcs to his blades and stuff so I really like that you can kind of make the blood sprays and stuff really an extension of the choreography and play with those really beautiful, like kind of long arcs of sprays and stuff like that. Sure. Um yeah. So and, and he has some really fun moments with, you know, the way that he's kills guys. There's one where he stabs a guy in the head, he's wearing a mask and then he arcs over and brings the mask off his head and splits the guy's head in half. It's pretty horrible. That, yeah. But uh yeah, yeah. But it's just it's really well choreographed, it's really fun.
2: Talk to me about there's a moment where two characters are fighting on, I believe it's on top of the train and I think it's an overpass that they come across. Am I misremembering that?
3: Oh, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, think, a, mo- um, it's
2: a moment of gore that made me go, Oh
3: <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. So one character, one of the bad guys gets lifted up out of the hatch on the roof, smashes through the, the glass and, Gets smacked by an overhead pole, and um, that's what it was. You know, it's yeah, yeah. So he he gets essentially ripped in half. We you don't see it so directly. He's kind of out of focus and flies towards camera, but still, like uh, that's kind of the what you're after, right? You want people to go like, oh, that yep. must have. Hurt, <laughs> but you don't have to spend a lot of time on those particular shots because,
2: like you said, it can be a bit messy because it is a, a, a shot that's like in motion and it yeah. is meant to be sudden. It's not meant to be something that we're supposed to be scrutinizing with our eyeballs, looking for imperfections.
3: Exactly, and it, like even just the thought of that moment, like like you said, you don't need to show; you just imply that stuff, and people get the idea. <laughs> yeah, you know, you don't need to show that much. Yeah,
2: so. Another thing, too, I just wanted to know about uh, the visual effects work in this movie in particular is uh, I know from my time with talking with other visual effects artists that there are hidden visual effects that uh, us at home wouldn't really know or Easter eggs, as you would call them. Maybe somebody, uh, you know, had bad facial hair and it had to get removed or something. I don't know. So is there anything that you uh, want to share or can share? Uh, Because I know that, you know. You're not you're not necessarily supposed to reveal your tricks, but uh, is there something like fun that the viewers can like poke poke at at home and go, oh, that was a visual effect.
3: I had no idea. You know the the one thing that comes to mind is just like it was filmed during the pandemic, so it was always that dance of like you know maybe the it's filmed in Japan, so like people can have face masks, you know, and mm-hmm. it's not out of place there. But you know you had to ride that line and make sure that we there wasn't too many of those kind of things. There was definitely cases where like. Uh, you know face masks and face shields were kind of on the set in the background that we had to remove because it's just <laughs> constantly on set like taking them off with them mouth you know so yeah um, i imagine that's a common
2: problem with many visual effects houses actually nowadays just somebody leaves a face mac just laying around in the background <laughs> and it's like oh damn yeah, it, yeah. another
3: mask we got to get rid of it you know i've i've heard of um other people not on this show but i've heard of other people having to remove like seams from masks and faces and things like that so oh, wow um just because you know yeah you, you take it off you do the scene you put it back on so um i think that that stuff's lucy now but definitely this this film was made in kind of the worst time in terms of the pandemic so it, mm-hmm. it did have to be pretty strict so definitely a challenging time to make a film
2: And I want to end by asking about, uh, you know, I I hope it's not a spoiler for people, but I do want to ask about how you were able to do the actual train wreck itself, uh, because that is a very elaborate, uh, big action set, uh, set piece moment towards the end of the film. uh, And it involves a lot of elements coming together. So how long does a sequence like that, you know, take to get right? And can you just talk a little bit about what went into that?
3: Yeah, so I think, you know, I think the earliest Previsualization visualization of that sequence I saw was maybe a year before I was finishing or so, so pretty early on. And you're right, it does take a lot of coordination, you know, because there's quite a few aspects of it that are practical, like they filmed uh, a lot of the characters on either in the real train or For the sequence at the very end where there's a full crash on blue screens and it all needs to tie together they need to know what the shots are going to look like Mm -hmm. beforehand and there's very specific kind of comedic and um, storytelling moments that they need to hit there so yeah we we start building the train fairly early on as well because it's quite a complex beast you know that we talked about the outside but uh we built the wall interiors cables walls um you know chairs made of wood um pillows filled with fluff like all the stuff that you know we we adds that complexity to the to the crash lots of testing involved in like you know how to shear metal how to uh rip pillows in half all these things kind of go into it so yeah we we had our egg post-vis team uh supervised by alex cannon he did quite a lot of this kind of choreography on a more simple level just really blocking everything out Mm -hmm. uh and then you know, that goes in front of the director, gets approved, then we kind of just have at it. That stuff all gets pushed to us to really take over and do the more complex simulations, uh animation, you know. For the train crash itself, uh, we have the train, like almost like ripping away around the characters as they're going down the mountainside. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's all in super slow-mo, so there's really nowhere to hide. The other aspect is there's just lots of props in the air that they wanted to have as a kind of comedic beat so like you know passing katanas and yeah um the there's like a you know a coffee pot that like smacks Brad Pitt in the face and stuff like that and then of course he he lands safely in the in the arms of the momonga costume uh (laughs) at the very end so you know all that stuff is cg and, and added later because it's it all needed to be so slow-mo and chaotic you you wouldn't be able to be able to capture it but no body double work going on there right no actually i think i'm trying to think if we 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 did have digis for some patchwork but i'm pretty sure it's all it ended up all being brad pitt like on blue screen just just acting in his crazy over the top uh way yeah totally
2: well when you look back on working on bullet train what would you say is uh, the number one thing that you're most proud of
3: yeah, and the number one thing I'm most proud of here, I think, um, you know, I, I really love that we were able to, to push the, the style of the film, and it really f- feels like the visual effects is kind of an extension of what they achieved on set, just bold colors and big, over-the-top action. So I think, yeah, pretty proud of how we were able to extend that out into our wider world. That's awesome. And what do you have coming up next? Yeah, so right now I'm working on a show called The Last of Us. Huh, just a little
2: show called The Last of Us. <laughs> Might have never yeah. heard of it. <laughs> yeah,
3: yeah, yeah, yeah. And then um, uh, that's that's going to take up a bit of my time. And then after that, I'll be on uh, Dune Part 2. So it's going to be a busy uh, busy year.
2: <laughs> big fan over here. Big, big, massive fan of that movie. Huge. Great, great. Yeah. yeah, I can't wait to see what you all do with that. Especially, I know what's to come in the book. So I'm very, very excited. So. Uh, well, best of luck to you on it. I, I can't wait to see the work on both projects and what's to come later. Steven, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. I really appreciate it.
3: Thank you so much. Thanks for your time.
2: Absolutely. You have a good one.
3: Bye-bye. Where were you alive?
0: the way you were in mine. Dude, I don't even know you. There's nothing simple about this job. Something else going on here? Yeah. I'm not the only one on this train looking for this case.
4: Evan. Hmm. Where's the briefcase?
0: Oh, I shit. It was just shit. We are right on schedule. Everything that's ever happened to you. This is gonna sting this! Has led you here. Fate. That's a shit deal. <laughs> Oh, no, thank you. You know what? Do you have um, anything sparkling? That's the one. Thank you. Don't worry. You sure you want to talk this out? Not particularly, no, particularly
1: uh, not. Okay. One thing I noticed about this film is uh, each time we get introduced to a character, we get these little montages of their lives beforehand. And there's so many details and it's so rich how much footage was shot for the backstories for each of these characters to create these little, uh, these little montages?
4: Yeah, I'm sorry. I don't know the number, like how much it <laughs> was, but it was a lot. Um, yeah. But for the whole movie, I think um, with with a two camera setup, most of the time, uh, we shot like 200 hours. and that Wow. So it's a
1: lot of material. Well, tell me, but more broadly with some of those uh, introductions to the characters, tell me about, you know, showing and not telling and letting us know the backstories like of the wolf and some of those others, because they're great little montages.
4: Yeah, it was a joy to work on. Um, our thing like through the post was trying to figure out where we would introduce those various characters and how we Mm -hmm. would introduce them if you read the book and so was the script they're introduced in chapter so everyone gets introduced separately before Mm -hmm. they meet each other and it absolutely worked it was a bit different a different movie but uh, once I started playing with just interacting like having them all meet up and get their backstories as flashbacks it actually gave a greater sense of fate how they were Mm -hmm. all like bumping into each other and walking past each other and etc so uh, we kind of fell in love with doing that Mm changing it that way and then some of the introductions were written where they are Mm -hmm. within a scene and then we moved some of them around it was like just for timing like would we playing with when we would meet their backstories.
1: Well, I thought it was interesting uh, that we we meet the father first, since, um, you know, Ladybug seems like the protagonist of the story. How did you decide to open with the father? Was that scripted or was that, that kind of... It's your...
4: actually scripted. The opening uh, with the father is actually scripted. We did try different openings but we always came back to the, the hospital scene with the father and his son and his grandson because the film is about them. Mm-hmm. They are the ones that have an arc. Yeah. Ladybug doesn't change. <laughs> no, he's <laughs> still a The don't change.
1: Yeah.
4: Prince doesn't change, you know, but, but it's the father and the son, it's their journey. So it was a non-brainer. Even though we tried different things, uh, it was a non-brainer. We had to start at the hospital.
1: Now, obviously, uh, really any of David's movies, uh, the fight scenes are going to be a standout, and they're always well choreographed. So tell me about striking a balance between editing these scenes to make them dynamic the way you cut them, but also not burying the fight choreography. Cause that's a big problem in action movies. And you did a good job making sure we get to appreciate the moves.
4: Well, I'm lucky. I'm working with the best people, the mm-hmm. best, you know, amazing choreographers, a director that has action in his blood mm-hmm. and knows where to put the camera. And so I mainly just try not to fuck it up. <laughs> you know, that's mainly my job, putting them together and not fucking them up. But I do certain things. Of course, we have all kinds of tricks, maybe to make a punch hit a bit harder or play with variable speed, which David actually likes a lot. He likes going mm. in slow-mo, et cetera. That was actually one of the things that was trickiest to balance. It was the sword fights towards the end. Mm. But mm-hmm. like when are we in slow-mo when are we going to hit hard but uh, I do listen uh, and watch sorry I do watch uh, the action sequences again and again and again yeah. just trying to find their internal rhythm so just to sometimes it takes a while just to see where could I tighten it up like mm-hmm. do we need that shot could I go straight to that shot and just trying to find that internal rhythm of the scene before putting music on it. Right. With good music, everything's gonna look good because music is such a powerful medium. Uh So it's important to do it without the music until it's right. And then whatever, all music is gonna elevate it. Hello,
1: this is Gary Chahot, welcoming you to check out the French History Podcast. and numerous others. Learn what you love and listen to the French History Podcast today. Well, you mentioned music, but also the film's uh, sound design really stands out and you work in in tandem with them, obviously. So tell me a little bit about that collaborative process, especially because you have some scenes like where they're having a fight scene in the quiet car, you know, and so. It really adds that. Tell me about working with the sound team on this and making sounds. Oh,
4: Mark Stockinker. Mark is the the sound designer, and again, we have a long relationship work relationship with him ever since John, the first John Wick. Mm-hmm. And he is amazing. He's just so amazing. So. And we, we, again, we tested a lot of different things, like with a quiet car, like what if we can't hear any action noises, you know? Mm. So we played with that as well. And I think it landed in a perfect spot. Uh, But Mark Stokinger and his team, amazing, amazing professionals. Again, because people so often, if it's sound or if it's editing... They want to look at it as a technical Mm -hmm. profession. But I can promise you the dialogue with Mark is not technical. It's all about feelings, characters, situations, you know, how can we, you know, make this, how can we have the sound elevate this? And he comes through every single time. He's amazing. And a funny thing, like we, I think, poor Mark, I think he had to like design so many kind of bells for the train you know when the oh. train opens and goes yeah, yeah and it was it was nerve-wracking because we couldn't use the real sound because it needed to be cleared and mm. apparently they couldn't clear it <laughs> I didn't know you had to clear a doorbell but apparently it's <laughs> <that's> wild, wild. <laughs> it's so while. and 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 Mark just came up with more and more and more bell sounds and it's actually quite an uh, important part of the movie, even if it's not in your face, because there are scenes later on that kind of rely on that bell timing. Mm-hmm. So, so it was a lot of fun. And he also designed like a specific sound for the train. Mm-hmm. So he's amazing. Yeah.
1: Now also um, tell me about how, you, how, and when you decided, I guess, to, uh, there's kind of a rhythm to when we leave the train, because most of the films can find that, but you would selectively switch to shots of it just kind of shooting along the tracks. Tell me a little bit about how and when you decided to take us out of the train.
4: Well, again, it takes a village to to make Mm -hmm. a movie, so it's not like me deciding one thing or another. But again, I think the main rule was basically if, it started feeling claustrophobic. Where mm-hmm. is a point we could go out? Where would it be cool to go out of the train and just expand that world? And it kind of happens in a no man, no man's world. It's set kind of in Japan, but we're never in Japan. Right. You know, and it's on a train. So it's kind of a weird makeup uh, make-believe world. And it also gave us a certain freedom to play with yeah. it so you are uh, i know, and, uh, the- just so you know like all those trains are visual effects every single train shot is a visual effect shot
1: that's uh, what i was going to ask you about i heard there's uh what like 1200 vfx shots in this yeah or something <laughs> yeah um so one i was curious about is uh you working with the vfx team for the sequence in which the train is destroyed at the end. I mean, obviously there's a lot of CGI there, but that's a great sequence. So tell me a little bit about that.
4: No, uh, that was such a great
1: cooperation
4: between visual effects and us. And uh, the visual visual effects supervisor was Michael Braselton, such a great guy to work with. And so we would... They would feed us with, we would have discussions about what was happening and ideas, and they would feed us with previous. And then we would start working with the previous. And then we would have notes on, you know, it's, it's yeah. like carving wood, just like one layer at a time. And uh, amazing visual effecting. Oh, yeah. What Such was your a great
1: artist? What was your single favorite fight scene that you edited in this? <laughs>
4: My single favorite fight scene, I don't know. there's so many. I, yeah. I there are so many that i I really enjoy. um i I'm almost naming all of them, But I love how varied they are. Yeah. they don't feel repetitive. So every new action sequence brings something else in. Mm-hmm. I mean, the quiet car, car is just so hilariously funny. The wolf <laughs> is just like, <laughs> I love that. And I love that Jackie Chan is like using that case. And oh, yeah. uh, it was great. And I mean, yeah, I, I could go through the whole movie and mention a single <laughs> well, fight then,
1: scene. Well, then how about this? Do you have a favorite non-fight scene that you're proud of? Mm.
4: Again, it's <laughs> a so <good. whole> movie. <laughs> but I have to say, just going through the dailies on Lemon and Tangerine was hilarious. Mm. They ad lib so much and they are just so funny. Really? So we had a lot of options there. Mm. Like, where did we want what, to, what joke would we want to use, you know? So that was a fun process. Uh, Brad Pitt, every single scene, I mean, there is a very good reason that he is a superstar. Yeah. Very obvious in his takes. I mean he's just so amazing. Prince, Joey, Joey King. I love I love that character. And I <laughs> oh, just yeah. love to embrace that a woman can be so freaking evil. Like just, <laughs> he's like completely unapologetic. And I love I think it makes action the action movie better that we have such strong female characters. Yeah. And we oh, have yeah. both uh, Joey King and we have the Hornet and and obviously Maria Beetle who's on the phone. Yeah.
1: Well, this is, uh, you know, this is wonderful work. I, uh, I've i really enjoyed seeing this and really all of your collaborations with David and the films he's produced. Can't wait to see what you guys are going to do next. Uh, what are you working on next?
4: Uh, we are actually on our way to Australia to film uh, Fall Guy with uh, Ryan...
1: Gosling. Oh, well, that's
4: exciting. That's a difficult life. Yes, <laughs> very exciting. I'm I'm looking forward to it. Another David Lynch movie.
1: Yeah, that's very cool. Well, thank you so much. And, uh, you know, this is excellent work. And I look forward to seeing everything you have down the line from oh, us. Oh, thank you. Pleasure Absolutely. talking to you. Have a great rest of the day. You too.
0: Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to my interview with the DNEG visual effects supervisor, Steven James. And Will Mavity's interview with the film editor, Elizabeth Ronald Stottier, for the new film, Bullet Train, now currently playing in theaters from Sony Pictures. You have been listening to the Next Best Picture podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support. But you can also lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you'll get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening as always, and we shall see you all next time.